front. And so inside your bulletins, we have a sermon that is designed around your egg hunt. Mr. Baker is sad that he could not be with you today. You remember from egg hunts in the past, Mr. Baker had, I think at one point, like 13 different eggs all spread out, and you guys found some things, then he would explain what you found. We're not really going to be able to do 13 eggs, but I do have golden eggs up here. And these represent other golden eggs that are out in the yard that are being hidden at this very moment, I believe. Do we have your... They just got done. 5,000 eggs. 500 eggs. Okay, the denominations matter. I think we have, uh, you know, a, a good number of kids, but I don't think we have 500 kids going out. So we have a few. But we are saying this. How many golden eggs can they get, Beth? Two. Each of you can find two golden eggs. And what I'm going to do with you over the next little bit is to tell you some of the things that will be in these eggs. And parents, if you're wondering where the sermon is, guess what? They overlap. So each of the three points has two eggs to go with it. Now, if you're the kind who likes the color and you see the insert inside your bulletin and you picked up some crayons or you have a ballpoint pen or something along those lines, the first question to you is, what do you think might be in one of these eggs? Now, candy is going to be in most of the eggs, Trevor. But Trevor, in a golden egg, we're going to have Easter-themed uh, contents of the eggs. So Trevor, what, what are you going to write down? What do you think might be in one of these? Jesus is not in one of these eggs. Maybe someone who hasn't been ruined by a high school education. What might be in one of these eggs? Anyone? What do you think might be in one of the eggs? A toy. That is right. There is a toy in one of these eggs purchased for you. Uh, well, for some of you. Well, it depends on which egg you get. So I tell you what. Why don't we think about what's going to be in the eggs? Because what we're going to try and ask the question of is... Who is it that we're actually seeking here this morning? These are the words of the man that they met. They said, you seek Jesus. And we want to understand who this Jesus is that we're seeking together now 2,000 years later. So the first point that we want to remember is that we seek Jesus who died. It's a pretty important point. If I were to tell you I'm going to go outside, then where does that mean that I am now? Inside. Very good. If I said I'm going to go to the left of you, well, for you, to the left of you, where does that mean I probably was? To the right of you. Right. There are opposites that always work this way. And if we say that Jesus came back to life, what does that mean about Jesus? He was dead. That's very good back there. We've got it in, in just rounds. And here's what we understand. Because we hear Mark telling us this story, which ends really weird, by the way, doesn't it? If you're reading in your Bible, you probably see there are some things at the end of Mark, and it has a little line right above it. The earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 and on. And that's because the Bible wasn't written in English. And it wasn't written during the time when we were alive. It's been translated over and over from original languages that it was written in and how it was copied down all the way to now. And so when people have studied a very old document, there are 
sometimes that people have disagreed about which manuscripts are the most important. Here's what I like about a moment like this at the end of Mark. This shows me how seriously people take the study of what was originally recorded as the scriptures. This is an interesting way to end. If you end Mark right at verse 8, it feels a little dissatisfying, doesn't it? Let me read it for you. Jason, you don't have to put this slide up. And they went out and fled from the tomb, and trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Happy Easter. Go in peace. (laughs) What happened? Is this the way Mark meant to end his work? Maybe. We don't know. We're not here with Mark, or Peter, who was probably giving Mark a lot of the information. Was it that Mark wrote more and that was lost to the script? Maybe. But what we probably know, because they've found a bunch of scrolls that are older than the ones that have verses 9 and on, they said it looks like when we add all these things up, somebody took verses 9 and on and added it on to the end because they really didn't like the way that Mark ended his letter. They don't like the way it ended in verse 8. But if we're honest, if you've been studying Mark with us, isn't that the way we've felt so many times when Mark's telling us the story? We know what happened in John or in Matthew or Luke. They wrote a ton of other stuff. And Mark was saying things and we would sort of have a question and he'd say, nope, that's okay, we're moving on. And so I take verse 8 to be the ending of the book of Mark that we're going to have. It's going to leave us with a question. And we'll get back to that question. But the way that Mark is starting us off is starting very bluntly with the fact that Jesus died. That's what we came together to to commemorate on Friday evening. Now, the first egg that we've got, it shakes a little bit. And that has to do with your first blank. Do you know what's in this? It is not, it's, it's kind of like beans, but it's not jelly beans. And they're not so much called beans as they're called spices. And that's your first blank. There are spices to anoint Jesus' body in the tomb. And if we're going to open this up, this has been well taped because it is full of some, well, this has to, you know, you're just going to have to trust me that there are spices in there because I'm very aware this needs to go back out into the field. It needs to serve duty after we're done, so I better not break it. But inside, what we would find are spices. Or maybe a word that we would use today would be perfumes. Why would you want to perfume or deodorize somebody? Because they stink. Do you know why Jesus stinks at the point that the ladies think they're going to go find him? That's exactly the point we're trying to get to. Jesus' body was not alive. His body wasn't working. And so the process of decay, especially onto the third day, would have been significant. A dead body changes colors. A dead body stops being flexible. And a dead body starts to stink. And so to come and anoint Jesus' body would have been a part of the process of a normal Jewish burial, the ladies wanted to come and to honor Jesus because they thought he was dead, because he had died. But the second thing that we'll find in an egg 
is that there was a stone, and that's your second blank right there, a stone to seal Jesus' body into the tomb. What do we, what do we see over that? Listen to that in verse 2. When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the... And there it is. You might find a golden egg that has a stone in it. Why? Because why do you seal up a tomb of someone who's rotting and dying and stinky? Well, that's exactly the reason that you seal it up, right? It's kind of the same reason that a bathroom has a door. What's going on in there? So just stay in there. That's the way it is. Tombs are exactly like that. And a stone was going to be the very thing that would seal up Jesus' body. And it would be a big stone. Because unlike a door, this wasn't supposed to have hinges. It was supposed to get sealed up and stay sealed. So kids, you might find a, a golden egg with some spices in it. You might find a golden egg with a stone in it. And if you see either of those and you're talking to your parents on the way home and they ask what was in your egg, you could say it was something about the fact that Jesus has died. And that's important. Why? Because it's hard to think of somebody being able to show how much they'd love and sacrifice and give for someone else as if they would give their own life. And Jesus wasn't just being metaphorical. He wasn't just exaggerating when he had talked time and time and time again about the fact that he was going to die. In fact, Paul said it this way, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's our first point. We seek a Jesus who actually died. Now, we had a hand that was over here for a while, and I've been ignoring it. I'm not sure if that hand is still around. No? I thought it was beyond the crew, kids. But okay, we'll get back to it. If there's, if there's interest over there, you know, we could, uh, we could uh, I'll look for the hand again. Second point, though, is that it's not just that we're coming to a corpse. We don't come today to celebrate Jesus who died. We come to today to celebrate Jesus who has been raised. We seek Jesus who's been raised. And the third egg that we're going to have comes from verse 4, where we read, sorry, from verse 5, where we read this. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And if I open up this egg, that's exactly what I'm going to find. Now, I think his robe was a little bit bigger than this, but we couldn't fit a, you know, a corresponding size robe inside an egg. Though Ryan has been known to stuff some pretty big stuff into some pretty tiny eggs. But what we have is our third egg then. What does that white robe represent? It's an angel. Good job, Trevor. You have redeemed your high school education. Well done. That's your third blank right there. And, or did Jace already put it up on the screen before? He didn't. All right. Very good. Very good. So, guys, as you're out, you might find a white robe, and that represents the fact that when the ladies came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, they were wondering, how are we even going to get in? We didn't think this through. But when they got there, they found a young man wearing a white robe, and he had a message for them. In the beginning, it was this. Do not be alarmed. Why? Because they were alarmed. 
You see, when you go to a tomb, you don't expect to see somebody, one, other than the person who should be there, and two, somebody who's alive. And yet, they come and they find a guy who's sitting there who says, do not be alarmed. But he continues on. He says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is, has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, we were tempted for a little bit on the fourth egg to make it have nothing because it'd be empty. But we thought that would be a little disappointing so that you could help tell the story we have a little message in here that says, he is risen. There we are. And our blank is an empty tomb. You see, that's what this fourth egg represents. We come to see Jesus who died, but we come and we seek Jesus who has defeated death and who has been raised. Now, you can imagine that I'm going to guess that for the most part, everybody in here probably tends to agree with me. Would you be aware that most of the people out there don't? Most of the people that aren't gathered in churches this morning, they think this idea tends to be pretty, you know, primitive, pretty elementary. No scholar, no historian, no one who's educated would assume that there was an empty tomb. Nobody would actually, and I want to say to all the people out there, Actually, historians, not believing historians, but secular historians, they believe Jesus died. And historians, not Christian historians, but secular academics who look at this and think, well, this is a myth. One of them, represented by a man named Jacob Kramer, said this, most scholars by far hold firmly to the reliability of the biblical statements about the empty tomb. In other words, they don't think the fact that the tomb was empty is made up because honestly, these documents were so old that if anybody wanted to disprove them in the very beginning, what would they have had to do? Exhume the body. Let's just go get him out of there and then we can show you that he's not there. Now, there have been a lot of different explanations, and with all the kids in, maybe we won't take all this time to do too much academic work, but the Gospel Coalition posted a really great blog. Uh, they just set it out yesterday. I think it's one that they've posted before, but I'm going to put it in the email. And if you want to do a little bit more kind of academic work, trying to understand not just what do Christians believe, but what do secular historians accept? And then what explanations have they kind of put forward for why the tomb was empty? Because nobody disagrees that it was empty. There's some really good thinking that, that they've done and that they've worked together on. Justin Taylor wrote it. Um, he's doing some work from, a, uh, from an apologist of the day. But the main thing that we, because we are believers, want to come and remember is that we come to Jesus who died. And we come to Jesus who's been raised. And I know those are probably the points you would have expected on Easter. But let me speak to the parents for a second. I think you forget this all the time. I think you forget it when your kids disobey in public and you look bad. Because at that moment, we're worried. What do people think about me? 
How do I look in somebody else's eyes? And maybe my kid's disobeying because I've done a bad job as a parent, and now I'm guilty before others. What do we do? You know what we do most of the time? Just by default? We try to find something about us as a parent that can atone for what we did that might be wrong. Or we try to make our kid look good so that the bad things that our kid did in public can be offset by the good things that they do, right? Do you do that ever? Parents, let me ask you another question, not just about your failings, but about your child's failings. Do you ever parent that way? Do you ever, in a moment when your child is disobeyed, try to find a way for them to make up for their mistake? You know what we've done at those moments? We've forgotten everything about our first two points. You've forgotten the first four eggs, parents. Your children don't need to obey to make up for their sins. They need a savior for their sins. And how many times do we live as though Jesus didn't die? And how many times do we parent or live ourselves as though Jesus hasn't been raised? See, the only thing that's going to help our disobedient kids and the only thing that's going to help our failing parents and the rest of us is if we have a Savior who died for us and we have a Savior who was raised for us. Those are our first four eggs. But rather than this just being a historical point, there's a sixth egg we want to get to, and it starts in verse 7. Verse 7 goes like this. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. We're going to skip the fifth egg for a second. I want to go to all the way up to the last egg. See, there was a moment where this messenger is quoting something exactly that Jesus said. He told his disciples and they didn't get it. So he told his disciples again and they didn't get it. So he told them again and they still didn't get it. He said, I am going to Jerusalem to die and then I'll come back to life. He said it in some clear ways and he said it in some kind of confusing ways, but he said it over and over. And one of the times he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. And I'll go before you to Galilee. That's what this guy is quoting right now. He's saying, remember, Jesus said this to you. And if we look at this story now, 2,000 years later, we have a similar echo. We have a similar hope that we're anticipating. And it's that Jesus has gone before us and is preparing a way for us to get back home. And that's, we didn't figure out exactly how we'd put a home into the sixth egg. And so we have a nice little picture of a beautiful home. It kind of reminds me of Up, the Up house, actually. I think it's a pretty good one. So, Ashley, this was your artwork, right? You didn't get this online. You drew this yourself. So if you want a signed copy of some of Ashley's artwork right there, you can get that egg. This one will be out in the field. It has a picture of a house. But if you get a picture of a house and your parents ask you, what was in your golden egg that you found? And you find a house, you can tell your parents, I found a reminder that Jesus has gone before us and is preparing a place for us. And if you say, well, how do you know that? You say, well, mom, you forgot. Dad, you forgot. Mr. Lander said, Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
I'm going to take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you hear the similarity of the language? At the resurrection, Jesus said, we're all headed to Galilee and I'm going to get there ahead of you. In a very similar way, he says to all of us, you're in the middle of a journey, but trust me, I've gone ahead of you and I'm making it possible for you to get there. It's a good reminder. And our last blank is that we're to remind each other of this good news. My guess is that blank's been probably up there for a little while, hasn't it? All right, well, I don't always tend to look at my notes. But I did skip the fifth one. Because in the fifth one, as you see in your bulletin, is a chicken. But not just a chicken, a rooster. And as I said before, I don't think Mark, and a lot of commentators don't think Mark was the only one writing Mark. I think he had some help. The help he probably had was Peter. And there are two words that I think, oh, we do have our hand back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've been ignoring this hand for a long time. Guys, wait for me for a minute. And let's, uh, thank you. You've been so patient. How can we help? See, I'm starting to think that too. I think most of these guys were missing that. So thank you for helping us kind of catch up to that point. But that's exactly it. This account here in Mark has two words that I find profound. Especially if you think that as Mark is writing them out, Peter is next to him, telling him what to say, helping him gather notes, helping him compile it together. And as Mark is putting this together, he said, what is it that the messenger told the ladies? He said, go tell his disciples that he's going before you to Galilee. And Peter said, no, there's two words I want you to put in there. Because they said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell all his disciples, all of whom who fled, but tell the chicken too. Tell the one who wasn't courageous. Tell the one who just this weekend had his lowest moment ever. Tell him to. And so that's true. The little bird that you'll find inside that egg, should you find this, it does represent the rooster that crowed three times and reminded Peter that he was a bit foul as well, pun intended. He was a chicken, too. Thank you very much. You can use that in class sometime if you want to. Very good, Autumn. All right. Guys, those are our five eggs. But it's these two words that are my favorite. Potentially my favorite two words in all of Mark. Because verse 8 doesn't end well. It acknowledges the decision before all of us for everything that we've studied, church. You've had Jesus presented to you. You've had a Jesus presented to you as a man of action. The immediately story of Mark. This happened, then this happened, then that happened. What about the teachings? Yeah, some teachings, okay, fine. But lots of stuff. What are you going to do? And now the biggest event has happened in human history that the champion of humans died and was raised. And the question for everyone is, will you take him seriously.
And in an unsatisfying way, Mark doesn't answer the question for us. In a disappointing way, he doesn't give us all the rest of the stuff that's kind of good news. Maybe, parents, you want to over lunch or, you know, if you're around with some others, say, well, I'd like to read more than just from verse 8. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I'm not sure I want to follow that example. There will be times that I'm afraid, much like Peter. There will be times that I fail, much like Peter. But I don't want the end of my story to be, he was afraid. I want the thing I remember from Mark to be, and Peter. And Darren. Darren and his failings remind him. Let's remind each other, church. If the messenger made a particular point of telling the guy who needed to hear it the most, just days removed from his failure, how much more will your brothers and sisters, how much more will your friends need to hear this good news and not forget it? It's not always that we tell something new. Sometimes all we need is to say something that's true and is to hear it one more time. It's been a good run through the book of Mark. Kids, I'm glad you were with us here at the end of it. And in just a little bit, we're going to send you out. Remember, only two golden eggs, but hopefully these six, whichever ones you get, will help you remind each other of the story of Jesus and help you remember the story of Jesus because he's really all we need. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your love. We're grateful that your love challenges us, much like the end of this story does. We're grateful that your love for us presses us to believe and that it admittedly has us believing some audacious things. Father, I pray that our church would be more bold less afraid, but that when we're afraid and when we failed, we'd remember we don't need to save ourselves because you came to do that and you conquered. You're going ahead of us and you'll see us through to the end. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.